This is our second class on Havot Alevavot. The Havot Alevavot has a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with every person about a subject, like I mentioned last week, that everybody has to be aware of, young and old. It's a discussion about what he calls our greatest enemy, our most dangerous enemy, which we started speaking about in the last class. Let's go to the second paragraph. The word neshek means weapon. So he's about to tell us the most powerful weapon of the Yetzirah. What an item. Yetzirah is full of, he's a whole arsenal of weapons. But he's about to share with us. Imagine someone was able to get this information to their children. Someone was able to really acquire this. The most powerful weapon. Haneshek hafi hazat. Shel hayetzer of our Yetzara Poel the way it works Derech Hamachavot Shelcha which means that his greatest weapon is to get into your thoughts. When we think of the Yetzara, most people think of the difficulty they have with their desires. That they want certain things, they like certain things, they don't want to do certain things, and they're having a hard time either to do what they're supposed to do or not do what they're not supposed to do. That's the way, generally speaking, if I ask the average person, where's your Yetzirah? He'll tell me, oh, I wanted to wake up in the morning and he came and didn't let me. I didn't want to do that and... I, I couldn't stop. I didn't want to drink. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. People feel their yetzerah mostly when they're involved in things that they either want to do but shouldn't or things they don't want to do and should. And they find themselves struggling with the yetzerah. And they'll say, oh, he got me. I wanted to do that. Messed up. Person wanted to, to to keep his mouth in, in you know in check for for a day or two, not to speak the wrong things. He got into a social environment and he ended up saying things he ah I shouldn't have said that. So when we lose control or we don't have the strength to do the right things, we feel the yetzerah's presence. And I think for most people, that's probably what they think the yetzerah is. But he comes here now and says, listen, that the most powerful weapon of the Yetzirah is not there. It's in your thoughts. What does that mean? Habore Natanlo, the Creator gave him et hayecholet, the ability, vehareshut, and permission, lehashpia, to have influence he can influence your thoughts. 
And what kind of influence will Nasot and to try Lehatot Ota Kirsono? He can sway your thoughts towards what he wants. Almenat Ligrom Lecha. Here is the main thing right now about to say it. Meaning his main goal in affecting your thoughts is to cause you lehatil safek to put a doubt badevarim in things shekevar hashafta otam leemet in things that you already thought them to be true. Ulfakfek, fakfek means and to, to be in doubt. Bemashe hashafta shebarur lecha. Things that were clear to you, he puts in a doubt. I'm going to tell you a story. This, this reminds me of a story that happened to me. I wish then with the story that I heard that I had this in my mind because it a little bit frustrated me. But Baruch Hashem, I was able to get over it. There was a fellow that I sat with, a very, very smart young man, very, very smart. He was like a 4.0 in one of these Ivy League schools. Very brilliant person that his father basically basically set me up with him to, to try to... He went off the derech, we'll call it. He grew up in a religious home. He grew up in a home, Shomer Shabbat, the whole thing. He was good. And then he went to this, whatever, they went to the Ivy League school. And four years later, the guy is completely off. I don't know if it was from the school. I'm assuming it was. So his father told me, he wants me to talk to him. And he described to me this brilliant young man. He's telling me how brilliant and how many questions he has and and the father says, I can't even talk to him because I start talking to him. He starts taking me off the derech. So I tell him, listen, the people I deal with, they are They're not so smart, these people. I don't know if I'm ready to sit with a guy who is so brilliant. I don't know if I'm so brilliant. I said, I'm afraid for myself. But as I'm talking to him, I realize, you know something? If I'm scared for myself, there's nothing wrong with me. If I can't answer his questions, so maybe I'm in the wrong place too. Maybe I'm off the data. So I took the challenge on. I told me, you know something? I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit with him. I'm ready. Does he want to sit with me? He told me I'll convince him. Anyway, I sat with him first time. I told you once about the story. I sat with him one time. He had a very, very bad attitude walking in. The attitude of, I don't want to be here. That's, that was his attitude. He came in with a very, uh, you know, yeah, stern. I, I read it pretty good. So he walked in, and I'm just looking at him. He's looking at me. So I told him, I said, listen. I said, I don't want to be here. And neither do you. I said, we're both doing your father a favor. Let's do him the favor. I said, I'll never come back here again. That, that was the way I started the conversation. What did I tell him? I have to break the ice a little bit. He's coming in like he's a, as if I'm trying to capture him. 
I don't know the guy. So we start having a talk, and I realized in that conversation, the guy is more off the dinner than his father thinks. Zero, zero. It was totally. I realized he knows nothing, meaning he has no basic understanding of things. He has many questions that I realize are not obvious, not questions, but he has someone to explain to him. Anyway, I got him intrigued enough in that class that I told him, never come back as your father told you. If you want to come back, call me. I'll be happy to sit with you, but on your own. Anyway, he came back. We, we sat once a week, probably for a few months, maybe three months. And we were doing great. One after, I went step by step. Every area, he had questions. I explained to him, he had this, he had that. It was beautiful. I felt good. I felt, it was really the first time in my life I felt, I remember, that I sat with such a person. I never had such an experience. But it was a good test for me, I felt. I didn't know myself if I was so clear. This guy made me even more clear. Anyway, week after week, you see the guy is lighting up. Clear, 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 clear. He walks in to the class maybe three months after. He says, Rabbi, he say, tells me I'm out. I said, why are you out? What happened? I didn't understand. We were doing great. He says, listen to these words. It was so troubling to me. He says, what we're learning for the last three months, he says it's so clear and so obvious that it can't be true. You understand? Now, really like, you is going on? He says it's so obvious and so clear that it can't be. How could it be so clear and so obvious? And I didn't have a understanding of it, or others don't have a connection to it. How could it be? Anyway, whatever I did, I did. I handled with the guy. Baruch Hashem was 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 a good ending. But, but I realized something. The havot levavot, look what he says. He says that in order to get a person off balance, you don't have to convince him that something is wrong. There's, there's something called the power of safik. The power of doubt. I can know something 99.9% to be true. But if a little doubt goes into your mind, the doubt is more powerful sometimes than the 99%. You could hold on to a doubt to do so many bad things in your life because even though 99% you know it's not the right thing, not only, by, not, not only by the way in religion, in many things, a person, how many people get themselves in trouble in life in the most obvious things, but sometimes a little bit of doubt that it's not a big deal, that little bit of doubt has power to influence 
So much clarity and so much emit. It's the power of suffix. Here's a guy. He's completely clear and convinced. But there created a doubt in his mind. And what's the doubt, by the way? The doubt is, how can it be? That, that's the whole thing. That's the whole argument for a brilliant guy. The power of doubt is something unbelievable. The Yetzirah, that is his biggest weapon. Is to take something that is clear to you. It's clear to you either because you learned it. You learned something. It's clear to you. You walk out. Say, um, maybe not. The maybe not doesn't have to be based on major philosophical questions. If you have a question on what you're learning, you're supposed to ask. You're supposed to know. We're not supposed to be robotic fools that just follow blindly. You're supposed to ask questions. You're supposed to know. But the doubts that we're talking about are not even doubts in, in uh, questions. Here's that guy. What was his doubt? There was nothing to his doubt. He was just, he was just doubting his clarity. That's how far it goes. The Yetzer Hara could put doubts in a person who has clarity. First of all, you should know, besides that, you should know, and this is clear to me, and I think clear to anybody who is involved in teaching people, it is clear that the Jewish soul has a certain feeling for truth and certain feeling for right and wrong and a certain feeling for Kedusha. It's natural. You talk to a person who didn't go to yeshiva, didn't learn, hasn't been connected for years, and if you talk to them and you just talk about the right conversations, you start seeing their soul literally light up. I could tell you from personal experience, not hundreds of people, thousands of people that I could tell you, experience-wise, where you saw the soul of the Jews shine. And it didn't come from a lot of knowledge. It came from the pure soul. You know, we say every morning in our Berkota Shahar, Elohai Neshama, the soul, the soul of a Jew, Shenatatabi, that you gave me, Tehora. Tehora means it is pure. A pure soul means a clear soul. Clarity. Now, Ashkenazim have another word they say. If you look in Berkot Shahar of the Ashkenazim, there's another word. There's a big difference about that word. Elohai neshama shenatatabi. This neshama that you gave me, tehora he. Not tehora. Tehora he. What he means? It is tahor. What's the difference between tehora or tehora he? 
Tehorah could mean the neshama you gave me, when you gave it to me, it was pure. But I messed it up. Tehorahi means it's pure now. My neshama is pure today. And even according to our text, it could mean that as well. The neshama of a Jew is pure and has clarity about what is important in life and what's not important in life. Where do you find this? Not by Talmudia Hachamim, by people who learn Torah their whole life. There you're not going to find the pure soul. There you say, of course, they learned, they understood. You find it by people that never learned a word in their life. And you look at them and you talk about a subject with them. And they're lighting up with excitement. The emet is felt by the neshama of a Jew. You have to know that. It is within our soul. Now, by the way, and if you tell me, so what happened to my soul? Where is the clarity in my soul? I'm going to tell you. It's actually a pasuk that we say every day. Every day we say this pasuk. Say it two, three, four times. And we don't realize what we're saying. The pasuk says, Ve'ahavta in Shema. That you should have a love commandment to love the creator of the world. What does it mean to love the creator, by the way? It means to appreciate his kindness. It means to love what he loves. Like when he loves something, you love it. Hashem says, I love that kind of person. Ve'ahavta means I love him too. Love Hashem means that I love what he does in the world. I love his ratzon. A lot of things about loving. It means basically connecting to Hashem. It says you should do it with all your heart with your soul, with your money, fine. Next pasuk. He says, and these words that I just told you, you know, a person might say to love Hashem. How do I do that? You tell someone to put on tefillin, he could do it. Tell someone to read, he could do it. Tell someone to keep Shabbat, he could do it. Tell someone to love, you know, how do you do that? It's a hard thing. How do you expect me to love? Right? These are big words. Whoa. That's a lot of love. How do I do that? Says the next pasuk. He says, and these words that I just told you about this awesome level of Ahavat Hashem. By the way, do you realize what kind of life it is when you live every moment of your life with Ahavat Hashem? It's a different level of life. But how do you do it? Says the Pasuk. These words, Asher the ones that I'm telling you today should be Put them on your heart. 
Put them on your heart means to love them. So again, the guy says to you, you told me to love. I don't know how to love. So what do you answer him? Put it on your heart. That's how you love something. But that was my question. My question is, how do I put it on my heart? What are you helping me by telling me, put it on your heart? Putting it on your heart means to feel the love. Imagine someone tells you to love something. He said, I don't love it. Okay, so put it on your heart so you can love it. What does that help me? I'm not able to put it on my heart. That's my question to you. Could you help me do that? So let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a beautiful story. A story of every single Jew. You ready for this story? A man who lived on the farm his whole life, never saw a big city, never understood what people in big city cities do. He's been living on the farm, doing as farmer things. One day he sees a guy on the farm. He sees him wearing this gorgeous, gorgeous coat. Gorgeous. Never saw a coat like that in his life. Silk, nice. He told him, where'd you get that? He says, I got it from the, the city. The, the store there, they sell these fine coats. He says, I got to get one of these. Tells his family on Monday. He says, I'm going to the city today. He says, you're going to the city? What are you going to the city for? He says, I, 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 I got to get this coat. He goes to the city. Can't believe what he's seeing. Then the source of it in his life. Sees the store. What a store. All these beautiful coats. He walks in. He sees the guy behind the counter. Older fellow. He says, listen. He says, uh, you see that coat? I want that coat. Could you have one of those for me? He says, of course. He goes to the back. Gets him a box wrapped. Puts it in a bag. He says, here's the coat. He says, but you know, I never tried it on. How do you know the coat is a fit for me? He told him, listen, you see this, you see this white hair? You know how long I'm in this business? I'm in this store for 50 years. When you walk into the store, I already know exactly your size. Okay? I hear. Takes the box, very excited. Goes all the way back home. Comes home to his family. Can't wait to put on the coat that he bought. Gorgeous coat. He comes in. Takes it out of the box. He tries to put his right arm in. It's not going. Still finally gets his arm in. Then he takes the thing around. It's not, it's not even going to the left arm. So tight. Clearly not his size. The guy is so mad. They're all making fun of him. You trusted the guy. You bought a coat and you trusted him. He knows your size. What a fool you are. The guy is so upset. The next week he goes back to the city. He goes back to the store. He comes in screaming, yelling, upset, hurt, violated. He tells the guy, what kind of guy are you? I was here. I asked you for a coat. I asked you to try it on. You tell me. I know your size. You gave me the wrong coat. The guy tells him, let me see the coat I gave you. Looks at it. It's the right coat. 
All right, coat? He says, you want me to try it on for you? Okay, try it on. He goes, tries to put it in the right arm, can't go in. Can't wrap it around to the left. He says, look. So he tells him, come here, I want to explain something. He says, here this coat. This coat is a very fine coat. He says, you know what you're supposed to wear with this coat? Look what, look what you're wearing. Look at all the garbage on you. You have this sweater that's popping out from all different angles. You have all the junk on you from the farm. This coat is not made for such an interior. He says, come in. Take off all that junk that's on you. Put on a nice shirt. And you'll see how your coat is a perfect fit. And that's what the guy did. Perfect fit. The creator of the world says, You think it's hard to love me? You think it's hard to love my Torah? You think it's love to love the truth? You think it's hard to love the truth? You really think so? It's the perfect fit. What I'm telling you is the perfect fit for your soul. But the only one condition you have to have. Just put it directly on your heart. You have so many things that are blocking your heart. You're involved in things that you shouldn't be involved in. You're saying things you shouldn't be saying. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. All that has caused so much external uh, barrier between your heart and what's natural to your heart. Hashem says, If you remove all the blockage, all the nonsense, all the things that are blocking you, it's a natural fit. I want to tell you something. I told you this once, but it's, it's so magical. I see it. I have, I spend once a year a 24-hour day with 10th grade boys. What's the 24 hours? We call it 24-hour day. What is the 24 hours? I told them, I tell them 24 hours we're going to spend together. But I have rules. You keep the rules and you'll see a whole different side of you. So always the question, oh, so you're going to make us tell me we're going to learn all day? I said, no, specifically we're not learning all day. I says we're going to sleep. We're going to eat. We're going to sing. We're going to have a good time. We're going to play ball. I'll tell you how this 24-hour day started. There was a young man in my class about 10 years ago, very, very fine person. And uh, one day he raises his hand in the beginning of class. I let them ask questions. And he says, he says, Rabbi, I want to tell you something. I said, I hope I'm not out of line by telling you this. A very smart and very conscientious young man. He says, you know, you talk about simha. You talk about an energy to life, a happiness to life. He said, I tell you the truth. I do all the right things. And I don't feel what you feel. So whatever you feel, I don't feel it. So, I don't understand what's going on. You follow? It's this question. Good. 
So I told him, I said, listen, I said, would you forgive me if I say something that might be a little, a little painful? You know what that means, right? When you say, would you forgive me? So obviously I had to ask his permission first. I said, I want to tell you that you have no right to say such a statement. And if you ask me why not, I said, because you haven't lived like a Jew one day in your life. But don't get offended. As this is a good kid, not a, a kid who doesn't miss a tefillah, learns Torah. I told him, you haven't lived 24 hours like a Jew. Do not tell me that I don't feel the simha even though I do the right thing. I says, it's no proof. You're not a proof. You never lived one day in your life like a Jew. When you live like a Jew for one day, and then you tell me I don't feel the simha, then we have what to talk about. Till then, you're pasul. You are disqualified. So you got a little, you know, offended, I guess. And the whole class listening. She said, what do you mean I don't like a Joe? I said, let me ask you a question. I said, I said to him, did you ever go 24 hours without speaking Lashon Hara? And in the same 24 hours, you also didn't hear Lashon Hara. Because those are two commandments. In the same 24 hours, every, every person you saw, you love them. So do you love every person you see? No, not every person. Okay. So I said, you're disqualified. I said, you're not allowed to hate anybody. Did you go the same 24 hours? You love every person and you don't hate one person. The same 24 hours, you didn't get jealous once. And the same 24 hours, you didn't complain. And the same 24 hours... It didn't take that much to realize that you haven't lived 24 hours. One, you haven't lived one day in your life like a Jew. So what are you telling me you don't feel the simha? Of course you don't feel it. You didn't do it. So he says to me, okay, so you know what? I'm going to do it. Now I get back to you. I said, whatever you do, I don't trust you. Even if you tell me I did it and you came back, I don't trust you. Because you don't know what to do. So he says, okay, so could you tell me what to do? I said, even if I tell you what to do, I'm afraid you won't do it. He says, could you stay with me? I said, I don't have 24 hours to stay with you. So now the whole class got excited. They're all getting, so okay, Rabbi, you know what? We'll all, we, we all want to go. We, we want to have a 24 hours there. So I, I told them that I can't have time for you. Then I warned them there's a lot of rules. I don't know if they want to do it. Bottom line, I strung them till the end of the year. Finally, the end of the year, they really want to do this. I said, okay, I'll do it on condition. We all agree that you're going to follow the rules. I'm going to give you a sheet of rules. You have to follow the rules. They said, what's the rules? I said, that's the first rule. I can't tell you. <laughs> you have to accept the rule before I tell you the rule. Now, seven ishma, where the way we got the Torah on Arsinai, we can't, we can't, 
You have to trust me. If you're coming on my trip, you have to trust me. Okay? They said, we're in. Fine. I gave him the rules. Ready for the rules? I gave him, started maybe 25 rules. Rule number one. You always have to put your friend ahead of you. For 24 hours, always your friend goes ahead. Like if there's only one bed in my house and there's two people, you give it to him. Usually, when there's one bed, teenagers, they fight for the bed. I said, but on this trip, there's one bed, you give it to the guy and you go to the floor. When you get on the bus, make sure you always put the other guy to go in front of you. By the way, every time you have a, uh, you mess up, penalty. It used to be $10. Today I raised the price. Some guy, I took credit card ahead. <laughs> pre prepayment for each for each for each item each infraction but those are the rules you can't complain okay I, I don't care if it's freezing in the house I don't care if it's hot you're not allowed to complain you have to smile every time someone sees you you have to have a nice face on so if I catch a guy with a down face $10 24 hours. What are some of the other rules? Oh, no, 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 no. Make sure you never, no bad words to your friends. Huh? Oh, you have them? Oh, no cell phone. Yeah, I take your cell phone for 24 hours. No distractions. What else? Oh, you have to sleep on time. You have to wake up on time. There's a, oh, when we pray, you got to pray. Pray, you got to really pray. You have to see the Arbit. The Arbit of that night. You never saw in your life the Arbit. Nothing special. Just they pray. It says, when we eat, you make Berachot. When you make Berachot, say it right. Baruch Atah Hashem. Elokeinu Melechah. Just say Berachah. Just but say it with a heart. Say a Berachah. And, and really mean it. Say thank you Hashem for the steak that we're eating. Anyway. This is a... Uh, this is the uh, basic thing. Nothing deep, nothing, nothing too righteous. Very simple. We eat, we play ball, we sleep, we pray, we have a good time together. We learn an hour in the morning. Just a regular 24 hour day. You could ask anybody that ever went on that trip. They come back every 24 hours. They're a different human being. Like, they don't know what just happened. They just, there's a certain feeling of unbelievable purity and they didn't do anything. We didn't learn anything. But for 24 hours, we removed the garbage. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The, 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 when we don't protect ourselves from things that we say, things that we see, things that we hear, when we complain, it hurts our soul. I don't mind. When you complain, it hurts your soul. When you hate somebody, it hurts your soul. When you're angry, it hurts your soul. Your soul is pure. Tehorahi. It's pure. But you have on top of it all the things that doesn't allow you to have access to it. That's what the Yetzirah does. The Yetzirah puts a doubt in something so clear to you. Where is it clear to you from? 
either because you learned it like that guy I spent three months with, or the Jewish person is clear. The Jewish soul is already clear. He has a more or less understanding what's pure and not pure. And the Israel's job is to put doubts, just to put in a doubt. A small doubt could destroy the person. I'm going to end up with one halacha on this subject. There's actually a halacha lemaaseh. If you think I'm talking like, uh, you know, heavenly things and things that are beyond our understanding, Kabbalistic, they're not. It's very simple. It's halacha. Look at this Rambam. The Rambam in the halachot of divorce. Rambam has a whole book on divorce. How to get divorced. So one of the laws of divorce is that you're not allowed to give a get or better yet, a get is not valid if the, if the man was forced. Meaning, if you force him to give a get, it doesn't work. It has to come from his ratzon. He has to want to do it. Forced get is ineffective. But that's one of the rules of the get. You can't have a get that's forced. It doesn't. Says the Rambam. A guy doesn't want to give a get. And this is the time we had a bedding, we had a court. It's not relevant so much today. But you, you've heard stories of women who are agunod, stuck. They have a husband who's nuts. He doesn't give them a get. Okay. When the bed din sees that's proper, that he's not divorcing his wife, what do you do? Listen to this. They take him to bed din. They bring him in. Listen, your wife's sitting. She's stuck. You got to divorce her. Either stay with her or divorce her. The guy says, no, I'm not divorcing her. But she's in pain. Divorce her. I'm not divorcing her. You're not divorcing her? Comes the bedin, and they start hitting the guy. Matin Otto. Listen to me. They hit him. You want to divorce her? No. Okay. They hit him again. You want to divorce her? No. Hit him again. Odd until when? Till he says, you know something? I want to divorce her. Rotse Ani. Until he says, you know what? I want a divorce. get, then you will write the get. Vehu get kasher. Kosher. The get's kosher. Get's kosher. Says the Rambam, wait a second. How could this get be kosher? What's the obvious question? He forced him. A forced get is not a get. The guy says, I want. He doesn't want. He only wants because you didn't hit him. Because you're hitting him. Oh, says the Rambam, Why is this get not void? He says, He says, Anus Anus means he was forced. He says, She'en omrim anus. We only say a guy is forced in something <clears throat> that he's not obligated to do from the Torah. Meaning from the Torah, he has to give a get. 
If you have a woman and you're getting rid of her, you got to give a gift. That's an obligation. He says, by a Jew. Look what he says. Aval He says, this guy, he wants to give his wife to get. He's a Jew. He has a neshama tehorahi. It's a pure neshama. Of course he wants to divorce her. Of course he wants to do the right thing, which is to divorce her in this case. But what's blocking him? You ever see, ever talk to one of these guys? They have such a maze of ridiculous things. They hurt themselves. They hurt, not only just hurt their wife, they hurt themselves, they hurt their children, they hurt their, they, they hurt hundreds of people sometimes and all with a maze of ridiculous stupidity. Oh, you don't know what she did. You don't know what happened. You don't know what happened here. You don't know. All nonsense. She took for Yisrohara lebatel mitzvah. He says, that guy, he really does want. The guy who tells you, I don't want. I don't want. I'm not doing it. He wants. But his Yetzara doesn't let him. He says, therefore, he says, since Lepicha Ze She He doesn't want a divorce. You're right, that's what he's telling you. Doesn't he want to be a Jew? He knows he's a Jew. He wants to do all the right things. That guy, the evil guy that's not giving the get, he wants to do the right thing. You should know that. He doesn't want to do the wrong things. It's only his Yetzirah that's not letting go of him. He can't let go. I had a guy once tell me, I want to do this, whatever it was, not important. I just can't get myself to do it. I can't get myself to do it. I know I have to do it. I can't. I have so much stuck. How many times does that happen to us in life? Sometimes you get, a guy gets in a, wife, in a fight with his wife. He just wants to make up already. He just wants to finish, but he can't. He can't do it. He said, I don't let him. He says, We hit him and we weaken his Yetzirah. That's called Lersono. A person who has a neshama wants to do the right thing. Where does our clarity come from? Our clarity comes from learning, like the guy that I taught. Our clarity comes from the soul that we have inside of us. We have clarity already. But the problem is the Yetzirah throws in all kinds of doubts. Ah, uh, uh, it's too clear. can't be. Uh, what does the rabbi really want? What is he saying? What, what, what is, what is, is that really true? Does that really matter? One little doubt takes place of 99% clarity. That is, that he calls that, the Hawad Levavot, the most powerful weapon of the Yetzirah. The next time you have a doubt in your mind about something, know where it's coming from. Again, a person that has a doubt and has questions should ask. That's not what we're talking about. If a person doesn't understand something, you ask a question. A doubt is something that lingers in your mind and you just let it sit there and it becomes the block of all clarity and all truth and all the things that are good for the person. Have a wonderful day.